My friends, we're living in very extremely exciting times. Most of you know that, but there are probably thousands of you young people out there that don't begin to realize how much things have changed even in the last 20 years. And when I was growing up back in the 1930s and 1940s, if some of the things were done then that were done now, we would have run them out of town very quickly. I'm not kidding. We would have run them out of town. And it's a different world you're growing up in. Satan the devil is in charge of this world, and he is creating an alternate universe, and people are getting used to it. It's kind of like the frog in the pan analogy. Many of you have heard it. They say if you put a frog in a pan and you very slowly, slowly raise the heat, the frog gets used to it and doesn't jump out until it's too late. He's already being boiled. And that's what's happening to the United States of America and the former British Empire. All kinds of people all over the world are being overwhelmed by this influence from the very powerful Satan the devil. So you have to realize how rapidly things are changing when you think about God's 7,000-year plan. From his point of view, things are changing, frankly, very, very rapidly. And I hope that you can understand that. We need to be close to the Creator. There is a real God, my friends. And I know that most of our brethren understand that. I hope they all do. But many of you out there, I'm sure, don't fully understand. You sort of hope there's a God. And when I was growing up in the mainstream Protestant church for the first 19 years of my life, and I was a, of course, a leader in my Sunday school class, I was elected president once or twice. My grandfather was the superintendent of all the grand, all of the churches at one time, of the Sunday schools in those churches. So it was very much in that denomination, a mainstream Protestant denomination, not some tiny church at all. But God was sort of way off. We hoped he was there. But many of us were not sure it was there. And when some of my friends would get drunk back during the Korean War, they'd say, Rod, do you think there's a real God? And what do you think is going to happen? Because I was already beginning to hear Mr. Armstrong on the radio, and I understood more than they did, although I didn't understand very much at that time. And God is not real to most of the people out there in mainstream. And I hope all of you can learn to really study this book and somehow, some way, if you pray and ask God for understanding, prove to yourself that this book, the Bible, really is inspired of God. That it is the mind of God in print. The mind of God in print. It shows us the way God is, the way God thinks, the way God acts. And you'll have profound understanding of the purpose of your life, of how to live, of where you're going and how to get there. But most people in the world, even most religious leaders, don't know where they're going. Most of you know that. And they don't know how to get there. They say the commandments of God are done away. And they're not sure if they're going to heaven or some far off place or what. The Bible said the just shall inherit the earth. But they don't think that. They think they're going to be wafted off to heaven playing on a harp with nothing to do. And they believe in item after item after item that directly contradicts this book. Directly contradicts this book. Jesus Christ said in John 3.13, No man has ascended to heaven. But they don't believe that. And certainly no one else has ascended to heaven. Jesus said so. Read it in John 3.13. He tells us the saints of God are going to rule as kings and priests on this earth for 1,000 years under Jesus Christ. So this world has been all mixed up. 
and things are going to drastically change because man is turning further and further away from God. But we can have hope and stability. All of us in the church here and all of you people around the earth who are listening and want to get close to your Creator and find out the truth, we can have understanding, we can have stability and real hope because God Almighty tells us in this Word, if you believe the Word of God, turn with me to, to Hebrews 13. I'd like to say that in our services regularly, that's the thing that impressed me when I first came into the Church of God back in September 1949, about 66 and a half years ago, that's when I came in the Church of God. I was impressed that Mr. Armstrong was explaining the Bible and would read verses out, and I'd refer to them, actually read whole passages and explain them, expound them, and show why they had to mean what we said they mean. I just say it does that, but it does explain it to us. Hebrews 13, verse 5, Let your conduct be without covetousness, and be content with such things as you have. Most Americans are not content. They want more and more. Two TV sets, two or three cars, bigger house, bigger this, bigger that. We're consumed with consumerism, and we want to have more and more physical things. But the big point here is, he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That's in God's word. If we are his children, if we're serving him, even though we're not perfect, none of us are perfect. But if we're trying to serve him and keep his way of life, he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And we can really prove that to ourselves, as I have tried to do for about 66 years, and I hope all of you can do too. Just before Jesus Christ died, he told his disciples something very important, and this applies to us as well. Because God's people have always been, as Jesus said in Luke 12, 32, somebody's going to look it up quickly or later, Luke 12, 32, Jesus called his people the little, the little flock. But Jesus said before he died in John 16, near the end of his life, he said in verse 32, Indeed, the hour is coming and has come that you will be scattered, each to his own, and will leave me alone. And yet I am not alone because... The Father is with me. So God always was with Christ. Christ said, I am not alone. And you and I, if we're serving God, may well be persecuted in years to come. Many professing Christians, at least, they don't all understand or believe the truth, full truth. It's not their fault. But even professing Christians, as you brethren know, all over the Middle East and many other parts of the world are being persecuted now more than almost any time in hundreds of years. Some are being killed, some are being burned, some are being crucified. All kinds of horrible things are happening to them. We're not alone. The Apostle Paul spent about the last five years of his life in prison. Two years in Caesarea, read about it in the book of Acts. Then several months on the prison ship or the way to Rome then at least probably more than two whole years. Luke said he was two years in his own hired house, the last couple of verses of Acts. And then he spent more time there, which is referred to in Second Timothy. He came back another time. So it was about five years of his life in prison. I had a stroke about seven years ago, so I have to be kind of helped around. And when I dance with my great-granddaughter tonight, why, I will not be hugging her unless I fall on her because I'm tired <laughs> and she may have to hold me up. That's my prison. 
But Paul said, remember my chain, because he was in a ball and chain, had a ball, iron ball between his legs. And they, they say the typical thing was an iron ball and, of course, shackles around the ankles of the prisoners so they couldn't run away. So I have a different kind of chain. But I intend to serve the Creator God to the last breath that I have if I'm able to. And the Apostle Paul wanted to do that too. I hope all of you will try to do the same thing as these things, these prophetic events you've read about in Tomorrow's World magazine and you've heard us talk about on the Tomorrow's World television program and more and more information coming out on our internet, our booklets, our wonderful correspondence course. Prove these things to yourself and you people out there in internet land or others who are listening in. Prove it. We have the proof. We say, look it up. Don't take our word for it. It's there in the Bible. So prove it and be sure and know and know that you know that there is a real God. This is his inspired word. And you can prove it. You can see it happening. I heard things from Mr. Herbert Armstrong way back in the 1940s. And I'm not exaggerating. I began hearing the program about 1944. The Second World War was still raging. And he was saying that Germany would come back again. He said that many times. Many of our older brethren remember that. And it would be the most powerful nation in Europe and lead a coming United States of Europe. That's already starting to happen. He said the British Empire would come down. I heard him say that on a series of campaigns in 1954. It's already starting to happen. He said the Berlin Wall and the Eastern European nations would break through years before it happened. It did happen. I saw it happen. And many of you older people saw those things happen too. We're not talking about a pie-in-the-sky God off in heaven somewhere and we don't know where he is or if he is. This is the God that intervenes in human affairs. This is the God that has given us understanding of specific things that were going to happen to hundreds and hundreds of millions of people all over this world. And these things are happening. And this church is the only church, frankly, that really understands those things and said those things ahead of time. And we can be very grateful. That does make us better. I have hundreds of relatives, or used to have, dozens I should say, that were in various Protestant churches. They're fine people, most of them mean well. God shows that he has blinded this world. They don't understand. It wasn't their fault. They will be given an understanding later on, and those of us who understand God's plan know that. But we in this church are a small but rapidly growing church and work of which Jesus Christ is the living head. And he has a church on this earth. We are continuing a spiritual continuation of the church of God. And that church has always existed since the time of Jesus Christ was called the church of God 12 times. Read 1 Corinthians to the church of God at Corinth. Read 2 Corinthians to the church of God. Read 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Read 2 Corinthians chapter 11. All these places through the Bible talk about the church of God, the church of God. Paul said, I persecuted the church of God in the book of Galatians. And he was sorry he did that. He was blinded. He did not understand. He was very sincere. You can be totally sincere, but totally wrong. And that's what we have to understand about our friends who don't understand yet. But many of you out there who are tuning into this program are beginning to understand, and you wouldn't tune in. Prove it. Don't take my word for it. You look it up in this book and be willing to check it out forwards, backwards, and sideways. Don't give it a quick glance. Prove it to where you can really be sure one way or the other. You will read church history if you want some, some, get some mainstream books even on church history. And you will find that God's church has always been called, always called, usually called, I should say, the church of God. For a while it's been called, others in secular literature 
but they always kept the seventh-day Sabbath, the seventh-day Sabbath, the mark that God gave his people. And Jesus Christ kept the seventh-day Sabbath. The apostles of Paul and the apostle and the apostle Paul kept the seventh-day Sabbath. Read the book of Acts. That's the only thing they did keep because it's the truth. We have a powerful weapon. We're small, but the truth is absolutely powerful. And the truth is going to be the whole way of life in a few years when Christ comes back to this earth. And if we have the truth, we're going to understand what's happening, why it's happening, and what's going to continue to happen. And we will understand the way to act about God's protection in the coming great tribulation. We will be very, very blessed, although we'll have trials and tests along the way. The truth is absolutely vital in our mixed-up age. In this church, again, brethren, most of you know this, but any of you new, prove it to yourself. We look into the Bible, and if the Bible says clearly, do it, then we do it. We don't argue, we just do it. And I've said many times to the brethren, to our council of elders, that the Bible tells us to wear black hats. I'm going to start wearing my black hat tomorrow or later today. I mean that. Whatever it is, the Bible doesn't say things like that, but I'm just saying if it did say that, we've got to do it, whatever it is. We find out later the reason why sometimes. It's always right if the Bible actually says it. You need to prove to yourself, of course, that the Bible does say it. Turn back to Matthew 16, those following in your Bible. And all of you listening and out there, get your Bible if you have one. Check up on me. Prove these things in your Bible. Matthew chapter 16. Why, in verses 14 and 15 here, why Jesus asked, Who do you say that I am? And Jesus and Peter said, You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Peter said, you, Jesus answered, Blessed are you, verse 17, Simon Barjona, Matthew 16, 17, Blessed are you, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I say to you that you are Peter, and look it up again. Don't take my word. The Greek word here is Petros, P-E-T-R-O-S. Some of you have interlinears. You have access to Strong's Concordance with the various Greek words for each case. Petros, it means a small rock or pebble. And then the next word, I say, I, I say to you, you're Petros, and on this rock. The word there for rock, when he said on this rock, is a bigger form of that same word. Petras is the diminutive form, the small form. Petra, P-E-T-R-A, means a massive rock, a boulder, a whole rock cliff. On this rock I will build my church. He didn't say the church of this and the church of that, some nation or some man, or some form of church government. It's the church of God. Christ is God. And he names it himself in his word, the church of God, 12 different times in the New Testament. I don't want to take time to read all of this or we'd be here all afternoon. I'd be glad to do it if, so, if we, everyone wanted to stay, but some of you might start to tune out. It's in the Bible. Look it up. We have a booklet, Where is God's Church Today? It lists all those places. Get our booklet. You can prove those things if you want to. So Christ has always had a church. I will build my church. And the gates of hell... The gates of Hades, the grave, will not prevail against it. God will never allow his church to be totally wiped out. And individually, we will die unless we live right up to Christ's coming. But we will not be extinct. We will be resurrected from the dead. So even the gates of the grave will not prevail against any of God's people and God's true church. The gates of the grave will not prevail against God's true church. So we have got to fight for the truth, brethren, 
we're surrounded by a world that's going hell-bent the other way. And I'm not exaggerating. Most of you know that. We've got to be Christian soldiers. Christian soldiers. Not worldly soldiers, but Christian soldiers. And be willing to go through trials and tests and persecution and preach the full truth. Right now, we in this little work are being used to do the most powerful work of any similar group on the face of the earth. We have a powerful television program. Our responses run four to seven thousand. I should say three to seven thousand, normally four or five thousand a week. We're very grateful for that. And that's more than the other groups have received. We are getting a bigger response from our television program. We have a powerful internet program that's growing in great power. We have the largest circulation. Our Tomorrow's World magazine is now about 527,000, as you'll see in the latest edition. 527,000 and growing. That's our circulation. Over half a million copies are going out, and many copies are led by more than one person. So we may have seven or eight or 900,000 actually reading the magazine. We are doing a powerful work around the world. We have local campaigns, we call them TWPs, local presentations or local campaigns all over the world. Literally, we've had them in Australia, New Zealand, the Philippines, all over the world, in Europe, Asia, elsewhere. And we have reached thousands of people through these personal campaigns that we're reaching and we're preaching God's truth, the kingdom of God, the message of God's coming government, Christ's coming government to be set up on this earth very soon in the lifetimes of most of us if you keep right on living. We have an outstanding team. Many of you out there who've heard our program know that Mr. Richard Ames is our outstanding television presenter. He's my main assistant, the vice president of this work, and has been a wonderful help and support for decades now and brings in tremendous response to the telecast. So he is a tremendous help and may be doing the next one of these special presentations. He's outstanding as a speaker. They put me on because I'm the old guy <laughs> and I've been around and helped start this thing. But he's a wonderful man of God. Dr. Douglas Winnale is over our churches and is a wonderful servant and help. And now we have Mr. Gerald Weston who also came in about the same time these men did and is destined to be our president and chief, chief operating officer starting about next August and has done a great job in building God's church in Kansas City and other big cities before he came to Canada. Then he's been running the church in Canada for about 13 years and now the last four or five months up in Great Britain. And he's running the work over in Britain and Europe and the Middle East and doing a great job. He's an outstanding leader and we're very grateful for what God is doing through him. And we have other outstanding men coming along like Mr. Uh, younger men like Mr. Rob McNair who gave the opening prayer Mr. Wally Smith who gave this special introduction and is outstanding on television as well Mr. Wyatt Sasalka who organizes so many things on the television and the internet all over the world my son Jim who gave some of the announcements here earlier my friend Mr. Mario Hernandez who's over the Spanish work an outstanding servant of God and many others we have many others coming along we are a team we're moving forward. The work of God is doing more powerful than ever before. So I want to thank all of you here and any of you out there who are listening in who've helped this work this last year or two. Thank you very much. It helps us move forward. It helps us preach the gospel of the coming government of God to this world. And we're very grateful for this. Somewhere on this earth, brethren, God has always had true servants 
and they were given understanding of prophecy, that's one thing that made God real to me. And I hope it will make God real to you. It's not some idea that God is love. He is love. He is wisdom. But we're physical beings. And if you see these physical things happening in prophecy, it helps people realize God is real. We're not talking about sentimental theological things. We're talking about God who intervenes and is intervening and will intervene, frankly, in a hair-raising way when you read about what's about to happen in the seven last plagues, the trumpet plagues, and that every island and every mountain will be shaken out of its place. And Christ will come back as king and kings and lord of lords and set up a different government on this earth. A government based on the law of God, as it says very clearly in Micah chapter 4 and in Isaiah chapter 2. The basis will be of life will be the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments, the way of God. And the Protestant world has tried to say they're done away. And they're not done away. That's going to be where they're going to have to learn to live in a few years. But we understand prophecy, and that helps people know that God is real. Turn with me back to Amos chapter 3 now at this point. Amos, if you would, in your Old Testament. You say, you're turning to the Old Testament. Yes, sorry about that, folks. Jesus quote, Christ quoted from the Old Testament over and over and over. Look it up. I just went through a hobby recently as I was rereading various books in the New Testament, marking where you could clearly see that it was quoting from the Old Testament. I just put a word there, meaning the Word of God, the Old Testament, was being quoted from as Scripture. Christ quoted it as Scripture in Amos chapter 3, a book that was inspired of God. God tells us here in verse 5, Amos 3, verse 5, If a trumpet is blown in a city, will not the people be afraid? The trumpet was used as a symbol of warning, a symbol of war. If there's a calamity in a city, will not the ever-living one have done it? Surely the Lord God does nothing, notice, unless he reveals his secret to his servants, the prophets. He helps his true servants understand. And my friends, I've seen since I came to Ambassador College 66 years ago, God's true servants do understand. That's why Mr. Armstrong was able to say ahead of time, the British Empire is going down. And they did go down. He's, he said that most of the sea gates will be taken away, and out of about ten major sea gates that control the commerce and warfare of the world and have been so important in modern times, such as the Strait of Gibraltar, and such as, of course, the Suez Canal and all the others, most of them have been taken, and only two are left. Two are left out of about ten major ones, such as the sea of Strait of Gibraltar and the uh, uh, one other that's still there, and, and the, the, is still under control of the Israelitish people, those people descended from ancient Israel. Only two are left, and the Falkland Islands, the other one I was trying to think of, they're still there. But they're being assaulted almost, almost every month you'll read something where the nations around them are trying to get them away from the British, and they're going to be taken away too, probably. One after the other has been taken away. He said those things ahead of time, as I said, he said the Eastern European nations are going to break out. They had thousands of Russian tanks and troops. People said that will never happen. No, it did happen. He had said, just like he said, he said the Berlin Wall come down. Those of you who read the Plain Truths magazine back then, you know that. He said that. And it happened. No one else was saying that. These other Protestant leaders did not understand. Only one church, the Church of God, did understand. So we need to realize that we're very blessed with that, but we're going to see these events continue to speed up 
and as these terrible things happen in our society, God's going to intervene more swiftly because this is Satan's world. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 12 now, my friends. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 12 at this point in your New Testament. Revelation chapter 12 and verse 9. Here he talks about a great war in heaven. And again, many of you out there don't recognize there is a real spirit world. Satan the devil has hundreds of millions of fallen angels that are called demons. And there's going to be a great spirit war coming probably within the next 10 or 15 years. It might, be, might start within the next 10 or 15 months, frankly. We don't know. But be aware of it. There is a spirit war. It is coming. It's going to change everything even faster once that takes place. Then you're going to see more strange, torturous deaths of people. You're going to see more people get into demonism. You're going to have more people that are going nuts and crazy and doing wild and crazy things. Psychologists will call it, you know, some, some name they'll give it, and uh, they don't know what it is because they don't understand the spirit world. War broke out in heaven, he says in verse 7. Michael and his angels fought, and his angels, and they did not prevail. But he says in verse 9, So the great dragon, Satan the devil, was cast out, and Satan, who deceives the whole world, notice that phrase, Satan, who deceives the whole world, not part of the world, the whole world, he was cast to the earth and his angels with him. And then I heard a loud voice, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren who accused them day and night, have been cast down. So it's going to be a terrible time and when Satan has come down to this earth with great wrath, persecuting God's true people. But Satan, his devil, is called the deceiver of the whole world, and we do need to really grasp that fact. My friends, please get this. Listen, Satan is trying to deconstruct almost every phase of society, from marriage to business life, to personal life, to sex life, to everything you can think of. Education, he's taking it apart. He's coming, making people's minds all twisted. Now men can marry men. And I noticed that, as you know, legally I mean, not in God's sight, that's what the world has come to. I could not have believed that if people had told me that even 20 years ago. But how swiftly it's happened. They started talking about it about 10 years ago and have been speeded up and speed up and speed up. And now the President of the United States says he's behind it. And now the Supreme Court is behind it. Who's not behind it? They'll call us nuts. Because we don't think that men ought to marry men and women ought to marry women. Did God make us male and female in order that we should be married? Read Matthew 19 and you'll see he did. That's why he made us male and female in the first place. But men are not willing to follow this book. They follow their own ideas. And under the influence of Satan the devil, who is the God of this age or this world, look it up, 2 Corinthians, if you're taking notes in it, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. He's called the God of this age, who's caused people to be blinded from the truth of God. I have a clipping here from the National Review publication, very conservative but very respected and this Catherine Tenth writes just this year December 16th very up to date everyone's fa favorite black white person or fake black white person she apparently calls herself both is now trying to explain herself by saying that she does not believe that race is real 
So we're not going to have men be men anymore and women can't be women, but blacks are not blacks and whites are not whites. Race is not real. Other people are operating on an autopilot, she, she says, I'm quoting her, that race is coded in your DNA and that there are different races of human beings and those races are called black, white, and so forth, as opposed to race is a fiction that was invented, she told The Guardian. That's a major newspaper in Britain. I'm quoting here again, the article does. What I believe about race is that race is not real, end quote. It's not a biological reality. It's a hierarchical system that was created to leverage people and privilege between different groups. So she's deciding that she's of a different race, and now she's going to call herself something else. Just like many women are now saying they're a man, and some of the men, especially young men, I guess are trying to say they're a woman, so then they can go in the woman's bathroom. Isn't that fun? <laughs> I mean, it's crazy. This world is becoming insane. And I'm not exaggerating. You know that their jump uh, insanity is being cut off from reality. It's being cut off from reality. And the world is being cut off from reality, the ultimate reality, the true reality, by Satan the devil. And it's getting worse and worse and worse in all these things that are coming out, even in the mainstream press. So we need to understand how quickly these things are, are speeding up all around us. He's trying to deconstruct our whole society about what marriage is all about, the fact that we're male and, male and female, what that's all about, what race is about, what nations are about, what red education ought to be, whether a father ought to be the head of the family or not, and almost everything you could think of, he's trying to change it around one way or the other. So men are now allowed to marry men, and all these kinds of things are speeding up all around us. And we are in a spiritual battle, if we understand it. That's why I say we've got to be Christian warriors. My friends and brethren, we've got to be courageous. There won't be too many standing up for the truth. I think you get it. You're going to have to be courageous. You'll have to be committed. Turn back to, to the book of Ephesians, if you would, at this time. Ephesians, and I'm going to turn to chapter 6 here of the book of Ephesians. Chapter 6, and beginning in verse 10. Finally, my brethren, Paul writes, Be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God. Who puts on army? Armor, I mean. Not a maid doing her washing. A warrior. We're Christian warriors. We are Christian soldiers. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles. Satan is very tricky. Back in Genesis it says Satan was more clever, more cunning than any of the other creatures. He doesn't always come say, I'm Satan the devil, I've got a pitchfork and horns. He doesn't come like that. He comes very smooth, very suave, lots of reasoning that makes it sound good. And that's what they do. You've got to understand that. Don't take it at face value. Is it something that's really crazy when you think about it? Does it directly contradict this book and the whole way of life that we have lived as Christians for decades or thousands of years, those who believe any part of the Bible at all? Put on the whole armor of God, for we do not wrestle. You see, we're in a battle. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, against the dark rulers of the darkness of this age. See, fallen spirits were in a fight with whom? Satan, the devil, and demons. Demons, the spiritual rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God. You don't need part of it. You need all of it. 
that you be able to stand in the evil day and having done all to stand. So you've got to have your waist girded with truth. Jesus said in John 17, 17, Thy word is truth. This book is truth that tells you the purpose of life, the way of God, where you're going and how to get there. You've got to believe this word, really believe it down to the depth of your being. Really believe it so you're willing to give your life to God if need be. There are very few Christians like that. But men in our church are like that. And I hope all of you become like that. We don't claim to be perfect. And we're not. I'm not perfect. I've never been perfect. I've made hundreds of mistakes. I'm a human being. We're having a dance, my son was announcing at the beginning. And, and uh, some people might think that's bad. But I, as I said, I'm going to be dancing with a very beautiful young woman tonight. But I'm not going to be breaking God's law because she's my great-granddaughter. So it's okay. But anyway, we make hundreds of mistakes. And we admit that. But we try to live by every word of God with God's help and His Spirit. And we base our lives on keeping the Ten Commandments. Not just in the letter, but in the Spirit. Christ came to magnify. He said, you're not only not to kill. You outsiders who don't know this, read the Sermon on the Mount. He said, you're not supposed to kill, but you can't even hate your brother. You're not only not to commit adultery, you're not even to look on a woman to lust after her. You don't even commit adultery in your attitude, in your mind. That makes it even more binding. That does not do away with the Ten Commandments. But under Satan's influence, humans increasingly want to change almost everything God made, including how he made us men and women. And all of us should be thankful God made us men and women. We men should be extremely grateful that God created our beautiful sisters, our wives, and our daughters they give a richness, they add a richness and beauty that we would never have otherwise. And so when we all try to become the same, it's hurting. It's hurting society, it's hurting the family, it's hurting children. So when God created the world and human beings in the first place, remember he said back there in Genesis, the first few chapters, he looked at everything he made, he said it was very good. Very good. He didn't say Satan needs to come along and say, well, you don't need to be a woman, you could be a man. You don't need to be black, you need to be white. You don't need to be tall, you need to be short. You don't need to be this. No, God did not say that. He made it very good. It does not need to be messed with. It does not need to be messed with if God Almighty made it. And certainly we need to really understand that principle because it is so important. Turn now, if you would, my friends, to Second Corinthians. Turn with me at this point to Second Corinthians in your Bible. And here's a very important passage. Paul is writing, the Apostle Paul, in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, and beginning at verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we Christians, we're in the flesh, we're not spirit yet, we're not perfect. We do not war according to the flesh. No, we're not supposed to get to in warring like the Protestants have done. In the Civil War, you had literally tens of thousands of Protestants fighting the Protestants in the South, fighting the Protestants in the North and the Catholics in the South fighting the Protestants in the North. And the wars of Europe raging for hundreds of years. You'd have the Catholic bishop on this side blessing the troops in Germany as they would charge up the hill on one side. And you'd have another Catholic bishop on the other side blessing the French troops as they charge up the hill. And, and these men going up to disembowel each other of the same denomination, supposedly Christian. No, God is not calling those people. They don't understand. But God says, though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. They don't understand. 
for the weapons of our warfare. We are Christian soldiers. We're in a war. Let's get it, folks. We've got to be real. Our weapons of our warfare are not carnal or physical, but mighty by God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments. Notice the war we're in. We've got to be able to cast down arguments, see ideas and theories of carnal men, and everything, every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. They have smart people. They have people with very high IQs saying there is no God and evolution is true. All that. Some of you know their names. Richard Dawkins and some of these others have written whole volumes on that. They've been other very smart men trying to deconstruct the Bible and say the Bible is not inspired. They're not dumbheads in the physical sense. Some of them have IQ. God has not called them. He has not opened their minds. So they try to reason around and work to fight that battle against every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. We're to have the mind of Christ. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. We're to have that basic understanding and approach to God that Jesus Christ said. He said to the young man who asked him the way to eternal life, back in Matthew 19, verses 16 to 19, Matthew 19, he said, if you would enter the life, keep the commandments. And he named the number of the commandments. And all through the Bible you find that that was what Jesus taught. You're to have the mind of Christ. You're to learn to think like Christ thought and act like Christ did. You're to have Christ living his life in you through the Holy Spirit. So we're to understand that and really get what true Christianity is all about. So I hope all of us can begin to understand that we've got to bring every thought into captivity to Christ. And we're fighting a battle. And so every thought must be brought into captivity in the spiritual war that we're in. We in this work of God need the courage to preach the full truth. It's not going to be popular. People are not going to give us some presidential award for preaching the truth, which tells people to obey God's law and that there is a higher government coming back to this earth and the government of the United States will be replaced. The government of Britain will be replaced. The government of Germany and Japan and China, they will all be replaced. But we're not starting a riot. We're just saying this is real. And people aren't going to argue with it when it happens. It's going to be so powerful to overwhelm the earth. There won't be much time to start an argument. If you read the book of the, of the Bible, many places, but especially the book of Revelation. So we have to have that kind of faith and courage to preach the full truth. Sometimes the truth will hurt and upset people. But we must have the faith and courage as Christian soldiers to do our duty and carry on this war against Satan the devil and his deceptions and preach the whole truth. Turn back to Isaiah now. This is the word of God. Jesus often quoted from Isaiah as scripture. Look it up in your New Testament. He mentioned Isaiah a number of times in books or passages from Isaiah as scripture. It's part of the inspired revelation from God to mankind. Isaiah chapter 58. Isaiah chapter 58, verse 1. Cry aloud, God says, spare not. Lift up your voice like a trumpet and tell my people their transgressions and the house of Israel or the house of Jacob their sins. That's what we're to do. We know, and I hope all of you out there can prove it if you haven't done so, that the peoples of the United States, 
and the British descended peoples of the British Empire and all over the world are the descendants of the so-called lost ten tribes. God talks about the sons of Joseph, that they would be a great nation and a great company of nations. And he describes how Joseph would be blessed with the richness of the earth, the richness of this and the richness of that. It's almost like the song, God Bless America, from sea to shining sea, when you read it in Genesis chapter 49. He's describing what God has given America. And when you think about the whole British Empire, what God has given did give them before it's been taken away because of their sins. And our greatness is being taken away over here because of our sins. We're coming down just as surely as the British Empire is no more. Pretty soon the United States will not exist in our present form either. Christ will have to come back and save us. He will save us. But we've got to, in the meantime, go through trials and tests and prove these things and be willing to do his work. He wants us to be involved. Brethren, God is making us a new image to be like he is someday. So he's got to know where we stand. And he wants us to be involved in his work. And he can see whether it's important to us. Turn, if you would, to John chapter 4. John chapter 4 in your New Testament now. And I want to read here something that many of our brethren hopefully aren't familiar with. John chapter 4 and beginning in verse 34. Jesus said, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. All of us have got to be involved in that. To finish his work. We're in the work of God today. We're getting out the message of the gospel of the kingdom of God, the good news of the coming kingdom. Kingdom means government. It's not some warm feeling set up in your heart. When you read about it in the Bible, it shows how it's a literal government coming back to this earth with Christ as king of kings to replace the governments of this earth and to teach people finally God's way and to bring a type of peace and joy that the world has never experienced. So we're to finish his work, get that message out. Do not, do you not say there are still four months till the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the field, for they are already white for harvest. And he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life. You'll receive wages, brethren, if you're part of God's work. You gather fruit for eternal life, that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. You will receive wages for all eternity if you do your part in the work of God and do it zealously. Every one of us should try to do that, to reach out to others, to talk to our neighbors, to help in the community, to help the work of God through your prayers, your participation if you're in the church, the church activities, and certainly giving tithes and offerings generously to support the very work that Christ is doing through human beings. He wants us to do that, and we will be blessed forever if we do. Turn back to 1 Peter chapter 4 now. 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 4, and notice here beginning in verse 12. 1 Peter verse 4, verse 12. Beloved, Peter writes, Do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial. What? Yes, we're going through a fiery trial. True Christians don't always have it easy. We don't always have it on easy street, so to speak. It's important that all of us realize that so we're not shocked when real persecution does finally come along. You're going through a fiery trial. Don't be shocked at that, which is to try you, test you, as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you are partakers of Christ's sufferings 
and that when his glory is revealed, you may be glad also and be exceedingly, uh, be exceedingly joyful or with exceeding joy. If you reproach for the name of Christ, blessed are you for the spirit of glory and as God rest upon you and on the part of your part, he, their part he has blasphemed, but on your part he is glorified. It says down here in verse uh, 12, he says, or verse 17, I mean, for the time has come for judgment Notice this, for judgment to begin at the house of God. Each one of us is being judged, my brethren. God is testing us. Some of you have come in from different places to this gathering today. And I'm glad that you have. And that shows you're zealous. But you've got to do that in every phase of your life. I've got to do it in every phase of my life. And I've got to do it better. I can't just stop growing. I've got to keep growing. I've got to do more. And if I do it, God will bless me forever, and I know that. But don't just assume you've got it made. We've got to realize that judgment is going to begin at the house of God. It's going to start with us because God is calling us. One of the persons that helped me very, very much in my life growing up was my old Methodist grandmother. And she was very sincere and very wonderful with the understanding she had. And she got me reading the Bible. My parents were wonderful parents. But they didn't actually talk about the Bible or read the Bible. She sat me down and read it to me. And I can remember reading in front of her a little gas stove in the wintertime. And Grandma was reading me the Bible. And that got me in the habit of reading the Bible itself. And that helped me the rest of my natural life. God was not calling her yet. When he calls my grandmother, she may be a better Christian than I am. And I'm not exaggerating. God has not opened her mind yet. Remember, Jesus said, No man can come to me unless the Father calls him. That's back in John 6 and verses uh, uh, 65 and uh, forget the first place. Anyway, there are two different places where he says that. So God has not called everyone, but he's called many of us here. So let's understand we're being tried and tested and understand that we've got to do our part. Judgment is to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Now, if the righteous one is scarcely saved, it doesn't say we're saved by a big mile or something. All of us make so many mistakes, it's pitiful. That's why we need the blood of Jesus Christ. As part of your prayers, my brethren, I hope you'll imitate me in this. I try to spend about one-fourth or fifth of my prayer just asking God to forgive me and to forgive all the brethren. That's a big part of my prayer, saying, Father, forgive us, help us, clean us up, scrub us out, help us to become more like you are. If you don't repent, you're not going to grow. Try to examine yourself and see how you can do better. Every one of you in this room, try to examine yourself. Judgment will begin at the house of God. If the righteous one is scarcely saved, wherefore shall the ungodly and sinner appear? Therefore let those who suffer according to the will of God commit your souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. He's a faithful creator. As I said at the beginning, he will never leave us. He will never leave us nor forsake us. So we want to really appreciate that fact. He's willing to let us back again and again like God let back the example of God as the Father who let the prodigal son come back. Remember the prodigal son got the inheritance ahead of time. He went off and wasted it. He spent it on wine, women, and song, literally. He was into drunkenness. He was into womanizing, wild living, and everything. And indicates that very clearly. 
And when he came back to the father, the father said, Oh, you're no good. I don't need you anymore. The father saw him coming down the hill, down the road, the country road maybe, and ran toward him. Ran toward him and hugged him. And he said that your, the, my, your younger brother, brother, jealous brother, was dead. And he's alive again. And he is lost and is found. I love him. Let's love him. Let's give him a special banquet. We're so glad he's back. That shows God's mind. Through the blood of Jesus Christ, God will forgive you and he'll forgive me, which he has to every one of us. So let's understand that and have this attitude to forgive one another and to realize God will forgive us if we keep repenting, if we keep growing. But don't just assume we're better because we know the truth. We've got to live the truth. And we've got to have faith and courage to go through these trials that are coming. Because we must understand that the whole purpose of God, of course, is to make us like God is. God is reproducing himself. And he's going to try us and test us in every way until we become like he is. And if we do God's work, as I said, we'll receive rages from God. And we'll be given glory and power and eternal life as full sons of God. He's making us in his complete image. He wants us to look like he is, to think like he is, to be like he is in every phase and facet of our lives. And that's what we've got to try to do now, at least in our character. Turn to Colossians chapter 3 at this point. Colossians, the book of Colossians chapter 3 now, brethren. And notice here, one of my favorite passages in the Bible is the first few verses of Colossians 3. If then you are raised or were raised with Christ, in other words, if you were baptized in real baptism, which is burial under the water, not sprinkled or poured. I got sprinkled as a little kid, but I didn't really get converted, so I was really repented was baptized. Baptized means buried in water. As it says in Romans 6, you're buried with him in baptism. So if you're risen with him, seek those things which are above. That's hard for us to do in our American society because a lot of you young people, you have your little device. And even as I'm speaking, some may be watching a little device and get themselves distracted. I know that. Get away from that stuff. Get away from that rock. Get away from reality. Get back to reality, I should say. Look up at the sun, the moon, the stars. Read about what's really happening. Not play little computer games and play with little devices all the time. That can be a horrible distraction and take you away from reality. The ultimate reality. So you set your mind on things above. Think about where God is, where Christ is, what the purpose of God is. Sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. Don't have your mind on the things on the earth all the time. For you died, if you really converted, you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, think about that. When Christ, who is our life. I don't have that perfectly. When I read Paul's writings, I see how Paul was much closer to Christ than probably any of us today. When Christ, who is our life, if we live and breathe, realize that I've got to reflect Christ. Christ is living his life in me. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you will appear also, it says, uh, you will appear with him in glory. We will be born of God. Our face will shine like the sun, just like Christ's face shines now. When Christ, who is our life, appears, that's what's going to happen. So we need to look forward to Christ coming 
and we will be like God because God is going to make us like him. He'll give us that same glory that God himself has, and that's absolutely magnificent. My brethren, Christ is trying to work with me. He's trying to work with every one of you in this room and God's true people all over the earth. He is trying to teach us lessons for all eternity. He is intricately, intricately, carefully fashioning and molding us. He's saying, how will you do here in this part of your life? How do you do there? Maybe you'll do good over here, yet you're very weak over there. You're trying to be careful not to do bad, but you won't forgive others when they do bad. And if they're even, even, even if they're not sorry, you don't need to be the one mad at them. Let God do that. You'll fail in certain parts of life. You have to constantly examine yourself and repent. Say, Father, clean me up. Scrub me out. Help me to reflect Jesus Christ more. He's very intricately, carefully fashioning and molding us, knocking the rough edges off so we can be like him, think like he thinks, do like he does in every part of our life. He's scrubbing off the rough edges of you and me in an intricate way. He knows he's going to have us in his family forever. He's got to be sure where we stand. He can't give us everlasting life and glory and power unless he's sure where we stand. So he's testing us and testing us and testing us. And we want to be sure we respond to that and truly give our lives to him and truly want to bring every thought into captivity to Christ, as we read back in Second Corinthians. Remember my favorite scripture, brethren. Many of you have heard me give it again and again. Galatians 2, verse 20. Some of you are not familiar with it. Look it up. The apostle Paul said, I'm crucified with Christ. The old self has died. I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I. And the Greek word there is ego, literally. Not the ego, the self-self, the old selfish self. But Christ lives in me. That's the key. Christ has to live within you and me through his spirit. And to the degree that we are yielded to Christ, Christ will do that. Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of, and I'm not exaggerating, this is an important point. Only three places where this, this, this uh, possessive is used in that way. It's called the faith of Christ in Galatians 6.16. I'm in Galatians 2.16 and also in Galatians 2.20. And back in, in, in uh, Revelation chapter 14, verse 12, where it says, This is the patience of the saints, those who keep the commandments of God. This is Revelation 14, verse 12. The patience of the saints and those who keep the commandments of God. What's the rest? And have the faith of, not faith in, there's a difference, the faith of Jesus Christ. That's what the Greek experts will back up. Those three places, it's the faith of Christ. You've got to have him living in you to where you know and you know that you know, and then you can die for that faith. You're not in doubt. You know God is real. You know Christ is at God's right hand. This is it. And you're going to go all out for the most important thing in the whole universe when you understand it. The creator of the whole universe, Christ. And God created all things through Jesus Christ. So you're going out. He becomes your hero. He becomes your God. And God the Father is greater than him. They're together. They're not jealous of one another. They are one. So you've got to have Christ living in you. And you're to have the mind of Christ and the faith of Christ and walk and live by that faith then he will make you like he is. 
Meanwhile, we have to go through many trials and tests. We must work hard in the service of Jesus Christ. For if we really are Christian soldiers, we'll be willing to do this. We will understand. Turn to 2 Timothy now. 2 Timothy chapter 2, if you would. 2 Timothy at this point and chapter 2. And uh, if I can uh, find my own markings here, I hope. I put little markers in the Bible. Sometimes they get twisted around and I can't even find them myself. 2 Timothy 2. And let's begin reading here in verse 1. 2 Timothy 2, chapter 1, 2, verse 1. Paul writes, the last letter he wrote while he was still on this earth, You therefore, my son, be strong. We've got to be strong, brethren. Be strong in the faith or in the grace that is in Jesus Christ. And the things that you've heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men. That's what I've been trying to do in this work. Commit these things to faithful men. And we have dozens of young men come along. I mentioned just a few of them. They're very dedicated, very faithful to God Almighty. And we have hundreds of you brethren out there that are helping and doing, that are faithful. And God knows your heart, each one. I can't name everybody. Wish we could. Commit them to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You therefore must be, you must endure hardship. If you're a Christian soldier, brethren, you're going to be tested. You're going to be tried and tested. I always remember the Second World War when I was still a kid in grade school and Franklin Delano Roosevelt declared war on Germany and Japan, remember, December the 8th, right after the Pearl Harbor attack on December 7th. And, of course, he talks about how the Japanese imperial forces of Japan attacked our forces in the in Hawaii he said I regret to tell you many American lives were lost we were together as a nation then in a way we're not now we had courage in a way we do not have now we fought together we rallied I can remember all my students there in grade school junior high and high school rallied we went on in tin foil drives and used metal drives to help the war effort every way we could when I was in junior high, I ran away from home and tried to join the Marines. I really did. That's not necessarily a good thing to do, but I was zealous. I saw the movie To the Shores of Tripoli, and John Wayne was in his, uh, or was it Randolph Scott, in his Marine dress uniform. I thought, I'm going to go and win the war for the country here. <laughs> actually, most of you don't understand history. If you read history very carefully, you'll realize that John Wayne actually won the Second World War. So it's... <laughs> <laughs> According to Hollywood, I guess, John Wayne or Randolph Scott, whoever it was. But anyway, we were patriotic back then. We really rallied together. And, and many American lives were lost. And Bill Steinbeck was our high school hero. But then I was in high school and on the high school freshman football team. And he was our hero. And he was allowed to enlist early. Some of you older brethren remember that young men 17 and a half if their parents gave them permission they could enlist and go off to fight and he did and just three or four months later whatever it was his body came back he was a casualty he was killed and we had a memorial service and all the girls were crying very moving in our our junior high school or high school auditorium the body of this football hero was sent home people had to suffer they were soldiers of the United States of America. And many had to sit in foxholes without food. 
They had to be, go to the bathroom wherever they were in any circumstances, lose sleep, lose water, lose everything. You know that if you read the history of militarism. It was awful. They suffered. Most of you are not going to have to suffer to that degree. But some of you will. Some of us will have to give our lives. So I'm just saying, think about it. If you're a soldier of Jesus Christ, you're going to be willing to go out to fight the good fight of faith. To hang on to the end. Not to water it down, but to go all out for the sake of the kingdom of God. This is our calling. This is our reason for being, brethren. And please understand that. So I hope that you can recognize that. We've got to be willing. He says you must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. We are soldiers of Christ. We are Christian soldiers and we've got to understand the war we're in. But Christ must live within us through the Holy Spirit. That's part of that war too. Not just overcoming Satan, but overcoming ourselves. And again, I mentioned Galatians 2.20. Christ lives in me, Paul said. Does Christ live in you? If Christ lives in you and me, we will overcome. We will grow. We will study this book every day. Literally feed on it. We will pray to God on our knees every day. I don't mean once in a while, at least 20 or 30 minutes every day on our knees. We'll be meditating, studying, meditating, and praying, and fasting occasionally, doing nothing but taking, having fresh air and sunshine. Say, God, clean me up, scrub me out, help me, help me to overcome. Help me to be like you. I want to fulfill my purpose. I want them in your kingdom more than anything. If we really have that attitude, we will be blessed forever. So I hope we can really get it. Remember that we'll be keeping the same way of life based on the Ten Commandments that Jesus did. Because as we already saw on Hebrews 13:8, Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's the real light of the world. So let's read Romans chapter 12 now, a little bit of it here. Romans chapter 12. And this is to be our life also as Christian soldiers. Romans chapter 12. And I hope all of you won't take time now to read all of this. I plan to, but I don't want to keep you too long here. Paul wrote in Romans 12 verse 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. As a soldier of Christ, you may not have to be a dead sacrifice, we hope. But some of us will. But we've got to each one be a living sacrifice, a vibrant, lively sacrifice, active for Christ, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable God, which is your reasonable, or some of the translations have it, intelligent. It's your intelligent service. It's not intelligent or rational to offer animals anymore. Your intelligent service is to give your very life to God today. And do not be conformed to this world. No, this world is saying you're divorcing and remarrying all the time for whatever reason. Men are to marry other men and women are to marry other women and we're to not be one sex or the other. We can change all those things. We can declare ourselves something we're not. Same thing with race. The same thing with all kinds of things. That we're to reconstruct what God gave. No, we're not. Don't be conformed to this world. Think about it. Meditate about it. Try to reflect Christ. What would Christ really do? How do you find that out? It's not some mystery. It's in this book. What did Christ do when he was on the earth? And you'll get it pretty quick. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. 
For I say through the grace given to me to everyone among you, not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. Let's not think we've got it made, brethren. We've got a ways to go. We may have a few more years. And sometime in your life, as I've said before in, in, in sermons, and I mean this with all my heart, at some point in your life, in my life, and we have had several in my life, and some of you will have one, you may not have had one yet, but some terrible thing will come on you, and you will be alone. You'll have no friends around. You'll have no one to help you. You will be alone. And yet Christ said there in John 16, Yet I am not alone, because the Father is with me. The Father is real. But you've got to be willing to stand alone. If you have friends and family and fellow church members to encourage you, that's wonderful. But you've got to be willing to stand alone. You may be put into prison all alone. This is kind of silly, I know, but I thought about it as I meditate on these things. Maybe if I preach too strongly and the world got that much worse, I don't think this will happen. This is how the human mind gets in a reverie. They might strap me in a, in, a, in a missile and shoot me into outer space. And I'd be all alone way out there. I'd be way off outside in outer space, way off where no one can get to me. Oh, really? All God has to do is take the tip of his little finger and bring me right back again. You know what I mean? If God is real, you understand that. You can't be sent away from God. God is real. He's your Father. He will never leave you nor forsake you. I don't care what they do to you. So you've got to really have that faith and understand that. So anyway, let's believe that and know that we're to each one try to examine ourselves, to pray, to study, to walk with God. We are the church of God. We are Christian soldiers. Brethren, I'd like for all of you in connection with this sermon and all of you out there and who are listening in, if there's one booklet I'd like all of you to read in connection with this sermon. There are many fine booklets we have, but the one I think would be the most helpful if you don't have it yet and any of you church members don't have it, call or write and request it. It's going to be on the screen for out of you out there. Restoring Original Christianity. This is the booklet, Restoring Original Christianity. A funny-looking old man from Missouri wrote this booklet, but uh, it's okay anyway. <laughs> Restoring Original Christianity, because it is perhaps the best booklet we have as a bridge booklet between mainstream Christianity and the truth. And it's very documented. Those of you who know history, we don't quote from Mickey Mouse or someone. We quote from some of the top church history authorities that recognizes that. What happened to, real, to the world's Christianity and what real Christianity is. Get that booklet, and I hope you will. And if you would like to speak to a minister, any of you out there listening in, viewing this, find it or find a congregation near you, please go to the web address on your screen. You'll be right there on your screen where you can see a map of our congregations around the world. There you can fill out a brief form, and one of our representatives will contact you soon. And I want all your ministers to do that soon, <laughs> okay? Do that soon. Just go to the web page on your screen, or you can just click on the, quote, contact us, end quote, links on the tomorrowsworld.org website. So do that, and I hope all of you will act on this. Many of you will want to check us out in person, not just some big service from way off, but get acquainted with God's church, where God is working, where people that you will find believe the truth. They open the Bibles, they turn here, turn there, Prove the Bible and want to live by every word of God and really mean it and do it and not just talk about it and water this down and water that down where you could come up and ask questions. 
and the minister won't get mad, he'll discuss it with you. He wants to help you learn the truth, so do that. And I hope all of you will act on the truth. That's the thing. We in this room and those people out there, we can't just know the truth. We've got to do the truth, to live by every word of God. Finally, brethren, turn with me to Daniel 12. Daniel 12. And here's, again, a very famous passage that I've used for decades and many of our other ministers, but it's certainly one of our favorites. In chapter 11, verse 40, he's talking about what's going to happen. A great power is going to rise up in Europe called the King of the North, and a great amalgamation of Arab states is going to get together a confederation in the south, probably the land of Egypt or other nations down in Saudi Arabia. They're south of Jerusalem, not northeast. Iran is not the king of the south. They are northeast of Jerusalem. Look it up. At that time, the king of the south, chapter 11, verse 40, will rise up and attack the king of the north as coming beast power in Europe. Like a, and the king of the north will come against him like a whirlwind. That was like the Nazi blitzkrieg, lightning war. That's the literal term they used for it, lightning war in the Second World War with chariots, in other words, modern modern uh, tanks and Polaris submarines and so forth, horsemen and many ships, and he shall enter the countries, robo women, and pass over. So that is the time of the end. And then it says in chapter 12, verse 1, at that time, what time? The time of the end. Probably within the next 8 to 12 or 15 years from right now, it could be less. It could be less. It could be six or seven years from now, the way things are speeding up. But this is going to happen in the next several years. At that time, Michael shall stand up. Notice, spirit wars. You've got demon armies from Satan the devil, and you've got Christ and his righteous angels fighting. There is a spirit world. You and I need to be in touch with the right part of that spirit world and fear the God of heaven who created these spirits. Michael shall stand up. He's a great cherub, a super archangel. Michael, Gabriel, and Lucifer, remember. Lucifer was the one who turned away from God and became Satan the devil. Michael shall stand up. The great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation. So he's talking not just about the Jews, but when you understand this in the whole Bible, read our booklet, The United States and Great Britain and Bible Prophecy. Get that booklet, all of you new ones, if you don't have it. Very important booklet to know who we are. It'll be a time of trouble such as we've never had, even to this time. In other words, the worst time in human history, which Jesus said the great tribulation would be back in Matthew 24, verses 21 and 22. At that time, your people shall be delivered. Everyone who's found written in the book, the Bible, the book of God, the book of life, and many, notice the time, when's this going to be? Many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. So the time is the resurrection from the dead when this is going to happen. Some to everlasting life and some to shape and everlasting contempt. You either walk with God or you don't. You get involved with this world and its politics and its wars, its ethics, upsets. Satan is trying to pit us once against another. Different churches, different races in the United States. As you know, things are happening that are bad. Many things the police do are bad. Many things the agitators do are bad. Which side are we on? We'd better not be on either side. I can't be on either side. 
God tells us our citizenship is in heaven. That's our ultimate citizenship. We are the advance guard of the coming government of God. And we're not to get involved in this world's politics. We're to realize they're all wrong, frankly. And they are. They don't know God. They're blinded. It kind of reminds me of that old song I'm digressing, but I got I need to have Mr. McCullough, Marcus McCullough, give me the whole words to that sometime. I keep forgetting to ask. But the old whipping poop song, some of you old remember brethren, remember that old song? We're little lost sheep who've gone astray. Ba 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 You didn't know I was a soloist, did you? <laughs> anyway. We are, brethren, all of us in this life. We're little lost sheep gone away. The vast majority of human beings don't know who they are. They don't know why they are. They don't know their purpose of life. And they don't know how to get there. They're all mixed up. We're little lost sheep gone astray. And God is going to bring us all back if we're willing. He's going to bring us all back, especially when He sets up His kingdom and His government on this earth. So then Christ will come back and he'll protect his true people, as we know. And there'll be a time of the resurrection from the dead. Some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise, are you wise? I hope every one of you in this room is that more and more thousands of you out of there, as you prove these things, can be truly wise. They shall shine like the brightness of the firmament. Get it now. And those who turn many to righteousness... What does God want us to do during this life? Just be good for ourselves? No. He wants us to be involved in His work. He says that over and over again. Those that turn many to righteousness like the stars, they will shine like the stars forever and ever and ever. That's our calling. That's our hope. That's why we're here. That's why we all need to pray and study and drive ourselves to go all out to reach this world while we have the opportunity to help all these people out there to know the truth, to look around at all human beings as people that are suffering in the Middle East and fighting and killing each other, the tribes in Africa that are fighting and killing one another, the various ethnic groups and nations in Asia that are fighting and killing one another, peoples all over the earth like that, millions of them, but to have compassion for them and try to help them reach out to them every way that we can to the truth of God and look at every human being and say, He's a fellow human being. I want to help him. I want to serve him. I want to help him in any way I can. I want to help in the work of God with the time, the talents, the ability that I have. And whatever capacity God has given to me, what strengths He's given me, use those strengths to serve the Creator at the time of the end and to turn many to righteousness. That's why we're here that's why Christ called us. That's why God called us now. So, brethren, we do need to understand that, and I hope all of us can fully understand that and go all out for that very reason. And I, I, I pray that God will, will help us do that. All the sacrifices we make now in this work will be worth virtually nothing compared to the glory and the power that we're going to have when Christ comes back as King of Kings. Think about the glory we're going to have. When President Franklin Roosevelt completed his declaring war speech before the Congress of the United States, December the 8th, 19, 1941, I was herded into the West Central Auditorium, Auditorium of the West Central Grade School with the kids. They had a big radio set up, and he gave that speech. And at the end of the speech, 
He said, we shall gain the inevitable triumph. So help us God. And we did. And brethren, if we do all out for God's kingdom in our lives, each one of us in this room and any of you brethren, those who understand elsewhere, if you really do go all out, we shall gain the inevitable triumph and we will shine like the stars forever and ever.